Hi, and welcome to Empowering Blackpool, the podcast designed to help anyone overcome the problems that all of us can face at some point in our lives. I'm Lindsay from Empowerment Charity, and in this episode, I speak to Sophie Latham about women and addiction. Sophie is part of the Empowerment Lived Experience team, influencing and improving services for women in addiction. Sophie, welcome to Empowering Blackpool. Hi, Lindsay. (laughs) So uh, we're here today to talk about women in addiction. And obviously it's quite a complex uh, subject, actually. But I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit maybe about why you think that women do become addicted. I think that's a a very difficult question to answer. I think that it's a very open-ended question because it's very complex, really. I would say the majority of people become addicted because it becomes a coping mechanism, you know, from uh, being younger. Finding something that helps relieve whatever they're feeling or heighten whatever they're feeling. So whether that be a happy feeling or, or a sad feeling, it's a coping strategy. And I think we pick up unhealthy coping strategies um, throughout our lives. And, and, you know, ultimately for some people that leads to addiction. And as we know, with any habit, with any sort of destructive patterns in our lives, it's very difficult to get out of. But I think for women in particular, I think women are at risk of addiction um, a lot when they are isolated, when they are at home, single parents, low incomes. I'm not stereotyping women. I'm just talking about some of the experiences I've I've had working with uh, an amazing team of women and uh, some of their stories and what they've shared and how that loneliness and social isolation has led them to allow people to come to their homes and their homes have then been used to use drugs or alcohol. And that was never the initial intention. The initial intention was to not feel lonely and isolated. And from that, their homes have been cuckooed, you know, and cuckooing is when effectively somebody's home is took over, you know, and it's used for selling drugs or for the using of drugs or alcohol. I think that they are major factors in where women will find themselves vulnerable uh, and at risk of becoming addicted. I mean, addiction is such an open-ended question. You know, we have within our team, we have a, a group of women that are really passionate about gambling addiction. You know, that's something that we don't talk about a lot and, and the differences for women facing gambling addiction so as much as I would love to answer that question I think it's just such a broad one it's impossible for me to really do our women of Blackpool any justice in answering it. Absolutely no I think you've you've definitely covered you know a range of reasons there really and and I'm, I'm quite curious actually to to say and obviously the differences between men and women and obviously gambling addiction could you speak a little bit more about that what do you mean by women are a little bit more different when it comes to gambling addiction? Is it just because, obviously, when we think about gambling, potentially, I mean, for me, I'm a woman, I think about men, football. Would you say that's the same for women? Or what What are your thoughts? What's the kind of experiences that you've had? Possibly not. You know, I don't feel very qualified, really, to answer this because I'm talking from my experience of working with others, you know. But Ultimately, it, as it comes down to loneliness and social isolation. It comes down to things being very accessible online, the stigma and shame of being a female gambling, specifically if she's a parent, 
You know, it, there's like a real stigma and shame of parents who are in addiction, regardless of what that addiction is, and a massive fear factor for being able to be open and honest around that, you know. And when it comes to gambling addiction, we have, you know, uh, different support networks out there, different different charities, but like you say, it's always tailored to men. The woman, the female gambler, isn't really recognised publicly, socially, as as being uh, an issue because I suppose it's a predominantly, well, we assume that it's predominantly male. Do we even know that? Do we even know that? Because we know several women that have faced this challenge in their lives along with a lot of others. Absolutely. And I know you spoke about, obviously, the cuckooing and people you know, they might seemingly look to be actually, oh, they're quite popular. They've got lots of people. They're always having parties, you know, and, and things like that. And and obviously it could be, you know, that cuckooing, that social isolation, inviting the wrong kind of people into the household. What other kind of problems can be associated with addiction? There are so many barriers that are different in, in comparison to men. And, and the reason I say that is because when we talk about addiction, when we talk about people that have multiple disadvantages in their lives, whether it be homelessness, offending, substance misuse, mental health. Primarily, we, we, we look at the single male, you know, especially within the um, criminal justice service. And there's this common misconception that if you are an addict, you won't have your children. For a parent, whether you are male or female, but specifically we're talking about women in Blackpool today, for a parent who is an addict, who is an addict, regardless of what that addiction is, the fear, stigma and shame of being able to access support, that is the barrier there. And the response that you are met with by services, we find that um, there's a very much coercive control in the respect that the approach quite often from a lot of services, not all because there are some exceptional services in Blackpool, let me tell you, but some of our services will have this do this or else type of approach, which is very negative because what it means is that individual cannot get open and honest. So when we're talking about parents that, or, or women with children, for example, the barriers are being able to access services. They have to take the children with them. We still haven't set up somewhere in Blackpool where the children can go with the parents and it can be um, a safer environment for mum accessing help. The barriers are we have all these amazing groups that people join to tackle their addiction and they get all these masses of support, but not for the single parent mother. Because a single parent mother can't attend it because she's, um, she's got children and there's no funding for the childcare. However, she's expected to be able to maintain her recovery. She's expected to be able to uh, achieve the same as somebody who is receiving masses of support. And what we hear quite often is they say, well, mum's got lots of support. She's got social services involved. She's got this worker and that worker. And it's always around the child. Yeah. Make safeguarding the child. In that environment, mum can never be honest. In that environment, mum can never say if she's struggling with her recovery if she's feeling the need to use, if accessing support, it can be viewed quite often as mum's not engaging, whereas the reality is there are these practical limitations that, that they can't uh, overcome on their own. 
and and it's 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 quite sad if somebody can't be honest and there is this sort of real stereotypical stigma isn't there around um the addict and and we hear how you know via social media via the papers and and everything else how they're manipulative they're lying they'll never change and yet we are actually as a culture creating that environment where parents are parenting in fear they're not able to get honest because of the fear of removal of children or the fear of being put under the microscope the fear of being told that they must do this or else and that's a barrier how does anybody recover it's like going to the counselor and never telling the counselor how you really feel you're never going to get the benefit of that service and I think this is where peer support is massive massive in supporting our women our parents to overcome those obstacles I mean we have very little early intervention if somebody we have amazing early intervention if you're not an addict just saying um but if you have this uh, disadvantaged background you are escalated straight away to social care now social care is great they risk assess yeah they risk assess so they make sure that everyone's doing what they're meant to be doing what mum needs is a safe space so that she can get open honest be addressing their issues be able to attend these self-help groups to be able to get that network of support to tackle the loneliness social isolation it's if you feel good about yourself, if you feel that you're able to get up in the morning, you've got worth, you've got something to do, then that need to allow those people into your home or the need to go and substitute how you're feeling with drugs, the power is not there as much. And I feel very strongly that we need to be supporting our women to, we need to be empowering them. You know, we need to help them empower themselves to be able to get out and get around that, get their network of support, get their tribal women around them, be able to access these services without, you imagine taking your children to say like, say like to the uh, community drug team. And on your way there, you are going past numerous males who are in active addiction and you're taking your children into that environment. Ask yourselves, would you feel comfortable with that? You know, if you knew by owning that you've got a problem and you can't stop, your children could be removed or you're going to be subject to real scrutiny, would you feel comfortable in being able to be open and honest? And I think we need to be creating a space that's safe for our women to be able to be open and honest. And that's not the only barriers. You know, we've got women who have been really abused, domestic violence, uh, and they have mental health issues, they're isolated and the anxiety that some of our women feel go having to attend places um like drugs treatment or some of these groups for fear of bumping into somebody because they don't know who's going to be there when they get there is another barrier for women accessing the services so can I, sorry, I'm just going to interject. It's just, there's so many, yeah, just, it sounds like there's a lot of things going on for that individual, you know, that, that woman that's trying to, to do her best, you know, and I'm just thinking about when you said about the peer support and this tribe of women around us, 
what kind of work are you doing in Blackpool that's different? Tell me how that works and, and how how is it different to, to other services? You know, I know obviously you've got that lived experience team of women. So that is like a tribe, isn't it? That is empowering other women. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's amazing. Our team of lived experience women put this team together themselves because they were so passionate about really influencing systems change because their experiences of trying to access help and support was quite a negative one. And they really, really felt like they'd not had their voices heard. You know, for some of these women, 20 years of addiction and not being able to really have a voice or make any significant changes because I would say that every single member of that team, and this is an amazing group of women, they're honestly, they're inspirational, they light me up. Every one of them could pinpoint where so it, the right intervention would have had a massive impact on, on their journey in, in life and they wouldn't have needed to have gone. Uh, things wouldn't have needed to escalate to this, you know, the extremes that some of our team had to go to if we'd had the right support in place right at the beginning, right at the beginning. So our team came about because this group of women, we had a WhatsApp group, and this group of women were very passionate and very vocal on it. And I went and had a chat with Mike and Nikki, and I said, look, it's very clear. When we had, because initially we had a systems change team of a mixture of men and women, but it was predominantly men, and the women weren't attending it. And I said, it's very clear that we need to be looking at why, why they're not attending it. Where, where do their voices need to be heard? So we found within men that it was, primarily around like the criminal justice service, around uh, drugs treatment and, and, you know, and things like that, the homelessness and those very classic issues that we're all very, very aware of, okay, and we talk about them. But when the women got together, it was around mental health, it was around children's social care, around shame of being a parent, that sort of ethos that if you loved your children enough, you could stop. And yet the very fear and shame and guilt is what prevents someone from being able to access the right help and support. And then how they're met with that, how, how they, they are met by the, by the workers, by the service, how the approach is also impacts on, on how honest and open they can become to that service. So what we did is that I, I, we got this team together and we got involved with a national network uh, of lived experience as well and they did a, a women's national well it's it's the women's necg which is the national expert citizens group and that was fantastic because what we actually heard was this was a common theme right across the country and it wasn't just around social care as well it was around going into hostels why were our women homeless and unseen you know most of them were sofa surfing and sleeping at someone's house uh, yet they are, and so they're not classed as homeless, but they are homeless. And they weren't going into hostels because the hostels were predominantly male. Um, so that, that felt like a very intimidating um, environment because our women that are in active addiction, you know, they've experienced significant traumas in their lives, significant. And to then be put in, in an environment where they feel that they are in permanent fight flight because... You know, it's it's a hostel with a lot of males or, you know, having to attend places with their children and not feeling safe because of other people that attend. 
that safe space, it was massive. And this is rippled right across uh, on a national level, eye-opening, the issues around social care and not being able to access the right support. So we got the team together and we really started to try and influence systems change. So this um, this lived experience team, the, this group of women who can actually pinpoint the, you know, the, the exact time when Actually, if something different had happened then, then the outcomes might have been a bit different for them. And obviously, you've spoken about the system change. What's happening then in Blackpool? What kind of things have these women been able to achieve in Blackpool in our town? Oh, I would say that Blackpool's got a long way to go, if I'm honest, Lindsay. I would love to say that we've had massive impact. But as we know, with systems change, it's, it's drip fed. But we've managed to get our women we were... Part of the It Stops Now domestic violence uh, campaign, along with um, a couple of other partner organisations. We've got two of our women on the domestic violence partnership panel. We are currently doing a commission report really highlighting the issues around and the need to have that multiple disadvantaged voice heard within children's social care, and in particular around early help. I mean, you know, a little spoiler alert coming out here. And, and I think what was really prominent was that actually some of these women had had like 30 years of social care, <laughs> you know, from their own childhoods through to, to their children. And yet no one knew what a social worker did. No one knew. And when we really looked into it, we, we learned that the social worker was absolutely doing what the social services should be doing. What was missing was the early intervention and the need for that safe space. So along with the systems change work, this group of women grew. We never advertised. We're not on on the website. We've never um, recruited. And yet we constantly have new women wanting to join this team to have their voices heard around the issues with women in addiction in Blackpool. I think that is powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, that's really powerful. So change is possible. So if somebody listening has an addiction, what would you recommend that they do? What are those first steps? I would ask, I would, I would suggest that they contacted probably our lived experience team. I wouldn't say that they would necessarily be took on by our lived experience team, but we could signpost them um, because we, we work with a specific criteria. But there are lots of mutual aid self-help groups out there, you know, self-groups like um, Narcotics Anonymous or AA or there's Drug Addicts Anonymous and there's Cocaine Anonymous. And in those places, they will find people who have experienced what they're experiencing and walk the same path. I believe that the system needs to change. I believe that we need to find a way of supporting our women better. And I believe that we need to do that through peer support. I really feel like I'm quite passionate about women and women coming together. So when you say about peer support, and obviously if somebody is in addiction, they can access support through the various different groups that are available. But I mean, do you not want to hear from lots of women, like any woman that's had some kind of experience, whether they've helped someone through it or they've been through it themselves, like getting those voices heard of, of from different perspectives. What do you think about that? I think it, that sounds amazing. Our team is going to be moving over to Health Watch, which will give them that broader 
uh, spectrum of women to be able to work with um, and, and in, include their voices because, we, like I say, with the lived experience team, we, we work with a very set criteria, whereas once they come over to Health Watch, they'll be able to have a much broader voice in, in a lot more areas, which I think is fantastic. The peer support within the team is amazing. Honestly, they are such a unified team and that's something quite rare that you don't see that often. Uh, these women really support one another. But I think also when we started the Peer For You programme, which was around loneliness and social isolation, I had the privilege of being able to work with some women who were parents in addiction um, stable on scripts, trying to make those changes and really struggling. They are inspirational. Do you know what? They're inspirational. They really are. And I've watched these women turn their lives completely around, come off their prescriptions, uh, get employment and really giving back within the team right now and supporting others. They are absolutely amazing. I watch these women facing life on life's terms and I'm not talking your normal. They're not sitting in nice, cushy little houses with, with great jobs and, and, and everything's wonderful. Far from it. These women are facing some real extremes in their lives right now. And yet they still tip up on a Monday morning for our women's team meeting because they are so passionate about what we're doing and passionate about supporting each other as well. And I think that herein is the key. So, when I started working with one of our ladies, she was so isolated that she couldn't leave the house. She would have panic attacks leaving the house. And she parented in fear. And when I say that, and this is a common theme right across the team, so I'm not just talking about one specific person. This is a common theme within the women uh, of, you know, in addiction that have social care involved in their lives, that the house had to be spotless all the time. She would be absolutely on edge, making sure that everything was perfect, that she needed to be dressed and have her makeup on and look okay when we arrived. And I remember saying to her, Lord, I don't care if you come to the door in your dressing gown, you know, you've got no teeth in. <laughs> I'm not bothered if you're crying and you're screaming because you've had a bad day with the kids. It's absolutely fine. I'm just here to see you. I'm here to have a brew with you. That's it. And we built up over time this, this trust and this working relationship, which was beautiful. And from that, she managed to find the courage to start coming to some focus groups. And we went out for coffees and slowly but surely we started getting, you know, getting her out. This woman's now gone on to chair social service meetings. Yeah. She's, she's massively involved in the International Resilience Conference going on in Blackpool this week. You know, absolutely inspirational. And I think that there, and, and this isn't an isolated case, I can I give lots of examples of this, of the, the power of peer support, of being able to say to someone, do you know what, I'm really struggling, I'm really frustrated, I really wanted to squish the kids yesterday. And know that that's not going to evolve with a, a social worker visiting your house and making sure that you've got food in your cupboards and everybody's okay, you know, to be able to have that freedom to do what any other parent, any other mother can do. I'm a mother. I say quite often I want to squish my kids. I don't squish them. I'm vocalising it. Imagine not being frightened to say something like that. Imagine being frightened to say that you had a really rough day for fear of repercussions, you know, or 
when you are in active addiction, by the very nature of the addiction, you your self-worth is low, you know, self-esteem. We struggle to have our voices because we believe that our voices don't count. And I think the power of, of peer support is actually realizing that my voice does matter. You know, I can use my voice for good. I can say, no, I don't agree with this because so often, and, and this is another recurring theme in the, in the team that they've just been like, like nodding dogs, you know, yes, 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 whatever the services have asked them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they've never actually said, this isn't going to work for me for fear of appearing like they're not engaging. So I think as much as there are things that we can do to support our women in Blackpool today, I think we need to go a, a long way further. I really do. And I really feel that we need more peer support going out there to support our, our women and families. And I know there's, you know, issues around that. Nothing is, is impossible. And clearly, the, the system isn't working the way it is right now. You know, so maybe it's time we have in Blackpool probably one of the largest social issues around uh, substance misuse. And, you know, the same with the children. You know, we've got children that are children of trauma. They've been brought up by, by parents in active addiction. And even when the parent comes out of that, they, they are then trying to support their children with their own trauma. And that, you know, the, the label of addiction is constantly hanging over them and that fear. We need to be getting rid of this stigma and shame. We need to be getting rid of this fear. We need to be being more accepting, loving, kind. To, to, it's a human being to human being, not worker to addict. You know, human being, mother to mother, supporting each other. Absolutely. So, Sophie, thank you so much for talking with Empowering Blackpool. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. Thanks for listening. If you found Empowering Blackpool useful, please give us a rating and leave us a review in your podcast app. For more information about the topics discussed in this episode, go to empowermentcharity.org.uk or call 0300 32 32 100.